Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I don't know if you know it or not, but something historic happened last weekend. Both Bay Area NFL teams won on the same day. No, more than that. Although that's pretty impressive, you know. They both win on the same day. That's not too bad. But actually, historically, um, for those of you who don't know, J.T. O'Sullivan, who is the new quarterback for the 49ers, um, got his first NFL win as a starter. Now, that's that's really, really big thing because, you see, he's not a rookie. He has been a quarterback in the NFL for six years. And he has been on eight different teams in the last six years. He started with New Orleans, went to Green Bay, from Green Bay to Chicago, from Chicago to Minnesota, from Minnesota to New England, from New England to Carolina, back to Chicago, then to Detroit, and now he's in San Francisco. Yeah. What in the world keeps a guy like that coming back? I mean, think about it. Six years, eight different teams. Why don't you just figure this isn't going to be your calling? You know, go home. What is it that keeps a guy year after year Season after season, going to practices, training camps, drills, memorizing playbooks. I mean, he has more plays in his head than any coach in the NFL. Conditioning, running in the hot summer sun. What makes a guy do that? Why? One reason. One reason alone. For the chance to get in the game. That's really The only reason somebody does all of that kind of stuff. The chance to get in the game. The chance to make a contribution. The chance to do something with a group of players and teammates that makes an accomplishment. Because nobody likes to get picked. Nobody wants to get picked on a team to sit on the bench. Nobody gives a gift to somebody to be left unopened and unused. No one dreams, nobody dreams of their funeral where nobody shows up. We all want to make significant contributions. We all want to do something that helps a group of people accomplish something. We want our lives to have meaning. And one of the things that I've discovered, and maybe you have too, if you've ever played on a team, if you've ever been a part of a crew, if you've ever worked with a group of people on a meaningful um, task and seen it come to completion, you know the tremendous joys and benefits and, and sense of fulfillment that comes out of making a meaningful contribution. The last couple of weeks, we have been looking at the early church. The church is described in Acts chapter 2, 4, and then this morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 6. And it is the description of that very, very first church in Jerusalem. And the characteristics and the things that they devoted themselves to and the impact that that church had. And what's striking about it, and I don't know if you've noticed it as we've been looking at this each week, what strikes me about it is how often the words that are used are words like everybody, all of them, together, each one. That is over and over again throughout the book of Acts, particularly chapter 2. The striking thing about this church was everybody did something. 
Everybody contributed in some way. Each one had something to offer, and they did whatever they could. Some could do more than others, but everybody was in on the deal. Everybody got in the game. They devoted themselves to these things. They devoted themselves to teaching and learning and growing. They devoted themselves to connecting with God. They devoted themselves to caring for each other. They devoted themselves to making a contribution and serving one another. And they devoted themselves to sharing this message that had changed their lives. And it had changed their lives. And because they took it so seriously, it changed the world. We have, for the last few weeks, been talking about the discipleship process. That as a church, our mission and our goal is to help unchurched people, people who are maybe far from God, become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And there's a very clear pattern in Scripture how that happens. Helping people connect with God. And then once connecting with God, then begin to care for each other and develop community. And then once they do that, to begin to move into meaningful ministry and start serving and ultimately start sharing. And, and that's the process. That's a process you see throughout Scripture. Connect, care, serve, share. And that's what we've been looking at. And this morning we're going to look at the third element in this whole thing, serving. And um, the way that it comes up is in Acts chapter 6. Um, one of the key characteristics of the early church was their generosity and their sharing together. And then you come to Acts chapter 6 and it says this. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So brothers, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will turn responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parameus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Siri's been talking about change. And it's all change that will help us as a church better fulfill the mission and calling that God has given us. And it's really important to understand all of these elements are essential to it. Connecting with God in worship, that is absolutely crucial to our life with Him. To, to spend time in His presence, that's crucial. And, and then begin caring for one another like we talked about last week. But that's only halfway there. That's only halfway there. There's another element to be added to it. And there's some very basic principles that come out of chapter 6 here that talk about that. How do we serve each other better? How do we serve our world better? How do we serve our Lord better? And I'll give you just a few key principles. Principle number one. Every Christ follower is called to serve. That is fundamental. Every Christ follower is called to serve. Now, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. And when ministry and serving is relegated to only a few hired professionals, then the whole effectiveness of the church is hindered and hampered. We can't do what we're called to do if we just make ministry the job of a few select people. One of the strongest features of this church was its generosity, that people gave to anyone who had need. They sold assets to be able to help those who had nothing. 
And that was a really critical feature of this early church. It's just it's one of the most incredible things to read that story and to read how that happened. You think, well, how do people change like that? Their generosity was just known all over the place. Acts chapter 4 talks about it. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, I don't know if they were going through the housing crisis that we're going through right now and all the you know, depreciated homes, but whatever they had, they were willing to give stuff up for the sake of others. Now, here's the thing. That which had become their greatest characteristic also threatened to be their undoing. Because you get to chapter 6, and everybody's being generous, and everybody's giving, and everybody's placing all of their assets there at the apostles' feet to distribute however they see fit. And then you get to chapter 6, and something's starting to go wrong. The number of disciples was increasing. The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked. How did that happen? The bottleneck was the apostles. They were the ones that were holding everything up. Now, I don't think it was intentional. They weren't trying to discriminate against some people and only serve other people. The trouble was they were doing too much because they can't do everything. Nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. These guys were great leaders. They were poor administrators. Everybody has something to contribute. Everybody can do something. Every one of us can do something. A number of years ago, I decided I wanted to learn how to juggle. Okay, this is a lot of years ago. <laughs> and, um, and so I started practicing, you know, and I did it with two balls, and I thought, okay, I can do this. Then I got the three balls, and it was like, whoa, 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 you know. And I just kept trying and trying and trying and practicing and practicing and practicing. I got to the point I could juggle three balls, and I could do pretty good at it. As long as they were all the same shape and size, you know, I could do it. Um, in fact, actually, this week... Um, my wife and I, we were, she was trying to do two balls. I go, oh, come on. You can't even juggle two balls? You know, so let me show you how. So I took two balls. I couldn't even do two anymore. But I used to. I used to be able to do three. And I was really pretty good at it. But the minute you would throw a fourth ball at me, I would drop all of them. <laughs> now, you would probably look at me and say, that guy can't juggle. Yes, he can. He can juggle three, but he can't juggle four. Everybody can do something, but nobody can do everything and the church cannot fulfill its mission and its call and its place in this world unless everybody each and every one of us fulfill the call that God has placed on your life and my life because God did not design a church of consumers but that's our society that's our culture see everything that Jesus taught everything that the early church practiced is counterculture. it's radical stuff it's changing the way that we think. And we have such a consumer mentality that we think about churches. Did it entertain me? Did I have a good time? Was the music okay? Did the guy not talk too long? Okay, it was a good morning. <laughs> that is not the basis of the effectiveness of the church. The effectiveness of the church is shown when we serve each other. And if you are sitting around and soaking it in, it's time for you to step up. Because God did not give his... Son, who died on a cross so that you could sit in a comfortable chair on Sunday mornings for an hour. Don't know if it was the apostles' problem because they were unwilling to let go of some stuff or if it was 
the church's problem because nobody would step up to the plate and take it. But regardless of how it came about, the church was in serious trouble. And you need to understand this. A little historic background might help. In about 586 B.C., the nation of Israel was overthrown and run over. Okay? And what happened was that a number of the people, especially the leadership, were taken out of Jerusalem, brought back to Babylon into captivity. And there they were for years and years and years. And they kind of just settled in there. And they married and they had kids. And there was a whole segment of the nation of Israel living off in Babylon. And what happened was, slowly some of these people started to make their way back to Jerusalem, back to Israel, back to their culture. And, so, and they landed there and they stayed there. The problem was, you had these two groups of people that were now naturally suspicious of each other. Because you had what were called the Hebraic Jews. They were the, you know, they were the foundation. They were the people that were there all along, okay? But now you had this other group. Not only had they gone from Babylon, now that Babylon had been taken over by, by Rome and, and the Greece, Grecian culture. And so now you got these Grecian Jews, okay? And they're moving back into Jerusalem. And so you got these out-of-towners moving in with the old standbys. And there's this natural, natural suspicion because the ones who had come from the Greek um, and out, outlying areas, when they came into Jerusalem, they brought with them their language, which was Greek, not Hebrew, they brought with them their culture now, which was Greek, not Hebrew. And so there's this natural suspicion that's going on. And now the early church starts, and there are these two groups of people. And they're already a little suspicious of each other, and they're already not really buying into this whole thing, but they know that God has brought them together, and they're trying to figure out how this all happens. And here they come to this point where good stuff is happening, and people are being generous, and it's time to distribute what's been given. And some seem to be getting preferential treatment and that threatens to destroy the whole church because there's a break in unity and there's a sense that we're second class citizens here and so a great thing was about to happen and yet it was being hampered simply because of poor administration the church had grown beyond the abilities of the apostles something had to change and I think as the apostles got together, I think they remembered Jesus' words. Because he is the one who had taught them all these things. And on the last night that he had spent with them, he got down with a towel and a basin of water and washed each of their feet. He was willing to be a servant to them. And then when he finished, he said to them, I have set to you an example that you should do as I have done to you. No servant is greater than his master. And they began to think, what did Jesus teach? Jesus taught everybody's a servant. Everybody has to be willing to serve. Everybody has to be willing to take the towel and the basin and to get down on their knees and care for somebody else. That's what the, he had taught them. This is the example, he said. Follow me as I have served you. Now, in the early days of Northgate, when we were first starting about 18 years ago, we had a group of about 12 core people key committed people, okay? And one of the things that we understood was if we're going to start this church and try and reach people who were not church people, people who were maybe far from God, that, then that meant that we were going to have to do the bulk of the work. And so kind of the model around our church was whatever needs to be done, I'll do it, you know? And, and that's what we did. Probably about the first four or five years, which is like whatever needs to be done, whatever it takes, I'll do it. You know, and we had people who had no business teaching a children's class doing it. Um, <laughs> No, I'm... T- 
My wife taught that class. No. <laughs> but it was just like, whatever needed to be done, we'll do it. We'll do it. Just jump in. Don't wait to be asked. If you see something needs to be done, do it. And that worked really good for about four or five years. Because we understood that's what we were committing ourselves to. That's what it was going to take. And whatever it took, we'd do it. The problem was, after about four or five years, people were getting tired. They were getting frustrated. They were getting burned out. They were getting, I don't want to do this anymore. Can't somebody else take this thing because I don't like it? And we had to make a change. Because 12 people by themselves cannot sustain a growing church. They can't do all of the work that needs to be done. And as the church continued to grow, we realized more and more, this will not be able to sustain itself. We need to make a change. And so what we did was we started to make some changes. We had successfully instituted a servant's heart and a servant's attitude in every one of us. But we needed to change something to get beyond that level. Which leads to principle number two. That God has gifted different people for different ministries. That's not earth-shaking stuff. But it's absolutely essential for the church. God has gifted different people to do different ministries. The simple truth is that you are not very good at a whole lot of things. (laughs) You're not. But you can do a few things well. When the apostles start hearing this complaint... And, and the church seems on the verge of just kind of falling apart and disintegrating from, and imploding on itself. They said, something's got to be done. Something's got to be done. And what's interesting is they're not defensive about it. You know, they knew where their strengths were and where their weaknesses were. And they didn't say things like, oh, okay, we'll work really hard at this. We'll, we'll give this more attention. We'll, we'll really give it our best at this now because we know it's not going very well and we know we need to work harder at this. So we're going to do that. We're going to work harder because we know how to do it and we'll just figure it out and we'll get it done. It's not what they did. What they did was they turned around back to the people and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. See, the key is to maximize your strengths, to know where you're gifted, know where your talents lie, and then to delegate your weaknesses. Verse 3, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. We'll let go of it. We'll give it to somebody else. Now, you choose the people. And there's qualifications that you got to look for in these guys. But when you do that, we're more than happy to turn this over because this is not our calling. This is not our gifts. We might be good leaders. We might be good teachers, but we are not very good administrators. And that's why we're in this mess. So we'll turn it over. We'll let go. Now, it's important to understand they're not minimizing waiting on tables. They understood how crucial this was. They understood that the church could completely fall apart if this was not addressed. That's why they set the criterion and qualifications so hard. It was, it was important. It was important to have the right people doing the right job. And so they said, look at these people. You know who's there. Pick them out and set them aside, and we will turn it over to them. You start with a servant's attitude, a willingness to do whatever needs to be done. 
But then, the next step is, find your fit. See, the beauty of God's design for his church is that everybody has something to contribute. Paul wrote about it to the Corinthian church, chapter 12. said there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Different gifts. You've got different gifts than the person sitting next to you. And, he says, there are different kinds of service. There are different ways to use your gifts and put them into action. There are different ways that you would do it that maybe I would not do it. There's different ways of doing it. And he says there's different kinds of working. There's all this variety. But he says there's one thing that unifies them all. It is God. He is the source. He is the authority. He is the one who gives meaning and purpose to it. There's all these different ways of doing it. There's all these different gifts and talents that are available. But it's God who brings it all together. And God calls each and every one of us to serve And he gives to each and every one of us the things and tools and gifts and talents to be able to do it. A couple of weeks ago, we did the survey, the now famous Northgate Tells the Truth survey. And it was very, very eye-opening. What we found, which is kind of a good thing, is pretty consistently when we talked about serving, about 29 to 32%, depending on the question, but it was right in that range, around the 30% range of people in our church say they know what their gifts are They are putting them to use, and they are actively involved in ministry. That's not too bad, one-third, a little less than a third. However, 50% of us said, I don't even know what gifts I have. Half of our church family said, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what gifts I've got. I don't even know where to start. And some of you said, I know what my gifts are. I'm just not doing anything with them. God has called us to serve, and he's given us the abilities to do it. Now, I said for about four or five years, we operated on the whatever-needs-to-be-done method, okay? And we decided we got to make some changes. So what we did was we started teaching and really moving people towards gift-based ministry, discovering how God has shaped you with gifts and talents and abilities and giving you a passion and a heart for certain things. And and we, we put together a class. It was three weeks long. And we went through every spiritual gift that is outlined in Scripture. And we talked about every possible talent anybody could have. And we talked about all these kinds of things. And we gave tests and we did a, you know, assessments and we did all kinds of things to help people discover their gifts. You know what we found out when we did it that way? Most people... Most people got really discouraged because they felt like, I don't know really what I got anyway after all of this. Or the other thing that happened was a lot of people said, well, I'm not going to do a ministry until I find the perfect fit. It was a good idea. I still believe in gift-based ministry. I still believe every one of you has something to contribute. The problem was, after doing all of that teaching and all of those weeks of study and giving all of those tests and doing all of those assessments, most people still didn't get involved. Because they felt like, even if I know what they are, I don't know where to put them. So we needed to change our approach. And that's what we're doing now. Inside your bulletin, a little insert says, first serve, okay? Pull it out, 
pull it out. Don't, again, don't just make rattling noises with your paper pretending you're pulling it out. <laughs> pull it out. Here's what we're doing now. We're changing our approach. And it's simply this. You discover where your talents and your gifts are by doing it. Just get started doing something. And we put together, this is a very, very brief list of first serve opportunities. Anybody right now, if this is where you're interested, if this is where you are gifted, you could step right in with any, without any training. You could just go right into it and we'll get you involved. So here's the insert. If you have any interest at all in children, if you could help working in our children's ministry, there's a number of opportunities. We need people to set up and to clean up after Kids World on Friday nights once a month. We need people who will be greeters and welcoming new kids in particularly once a month, Friday night. Set up and clean up. Sunday mornings, we need people who can help sign in and sign out kids to classes. Okay? That's like nothing more than a 10-minute, 15-minute commitment on a Sunday morning. We need people who will be teacher's aides. You don't have to teach the lesson, but just be there to assist and help the teacher who is teaching the lesson. We need our classrooms cleaned every week. We need somebody to just play with kids. That ain't too hard, okay? You could do that. If you're interested in middle schoolers or high schoolers, God bless you. (laughs) There are opportunities for you to serve. We've got a cafe going over there um, in our student ministries building. And it's just, you know, selling, you know, and and collecting money and and distributing tickets and and sodas and coffee and candy and gum. And there's all kinds of stuff they're selling over there. Um, But we need people to help man that. We need people to help lead community groups, small groups in our student ministry on Wednesday nights, Tuesday nights. Maybe you could do that. Again, we need a team of people just welcoming and greeting kids as they come in, making them feel at home. We need, we need people who can pray <laughs> for our students and for the teachers and leaders in our student ministries. Worship arts. If you've always wanted to be part of a rock band. <laughs> if you've always wanted to be a roadie for a rock band. <laughs> we could use your help. Now, okay, if you don't play an instrument... Don't check this box, okay? If you can't sing, don't check this box. But if you want to learn how to, you know, how to do lighting and video and tech stuff, there's opportunities there. If you do have talents, we need drummers, we need acoustic guitar players, we need bass players, we need people with natural talents. And if you've got those talents, you could use them for God's kingdom. We have all kinds of opportunities in what we call our first face ministry. It's just the first impressions that people get when they come here on a Sunday morning. For our guests and for our visitors, when they come through, do, they make, do we make them feel at home? And you could be, if, if you can put on a smile on your face, you can be a greeter. You don't have to memorize everybody's name. Just say, we're glad you're here and just smile. You know, when somebody walks in, to a gathering like this, if they walk into a group and into a crowd like this, one of the first things people look at, is there anybody here like me? Is there anybody here I can relate to? And in all honesty, most of our ushers and greeters are men in their 50s. Okay? (laughs) Or 60s. I was being kind. Now, these are great guys, okay? Believe me, they work so hard at this, and I love every one of them, and I appreciate all that they put into it. 
but we need some younger faces. <laughs> and you could do that. Now, if you're in your 50s and you're a man, you could still help, okay? We're not disqualifying you. We're just saying there's all kinds of opportunities. Greeters, ushers, we need people to help set up and tear down and clean up in the cafe. One of the things that we started uh, a couple of months ago is just making that place a place where people can hang out, have a cup of coffee, you know, have something to eat, and just hang around and meet people. We need somebody to help man that and keep that going. We need campus maintenance. We need landscape help. We could, if you could give a couple hours in the afternoon to be a receptionist and just answer phones. We need people to help set up for events and tear down after events. And we need people who will just say, I will be on call. If you need help, give me a buzz. I'll be there. Now, when we call you, you better say, okay, I'll be there. Okay? <laughs> Don't check that box if you're always going to say, oh, I got something else going. I'm sorry. No. And benevolence ministry. Some of you may not know this. Twice a month. The fourth and the first Sundays of every month, we partner with First Baptist Church Vallejo and help serve and feed the hungry and the needy. And if you've got a heart and a passion for that, you could get plugged in there. Okay? This is just a very, very brief list of places where you could just get started. And the idea is try something, get started, do something here, and see, maybe you'll feel right at home at that. Maybe it'll spur you on to something more. Now, if you want to find out more about spiritual gifts and using your talents and your abilities, we do still have that class. But we're saying, don't wait till you take the class. Don't wait till you take all the tests. Get plugged in right away. So on this insert, all we're asking is give us your name, some contact information, and check a box where you think you could help. And we will be sure to put you to work. Last week, we asked people, we told them, we're starting a pilot program called Community Groups. And it's just helping us get connected into community, to build better relationships, to plug into a group. And so we, just, we announced that we were going to do this pilot program. And so we said, okay, all we want is 30 people. The first 30 people that say, I'm interested in this, I want to be involved, you sign up. On the 28th, we're going to have in the evening a get-together. We'll get you put, partnered up in a group, and we'll get you started in all this. All we need is 30 people. We got 120. Yeah. Which means it's no longer a pilot program. We're just going full bore into this whole thing. <laughs> but here's the deal. We were prepared for three groups. <laughs> now we got to do 12 groups. If you have experience in leading a small group, in participating in a small group, you say, hey, for eight weeks, I could help get a group started. We could use your help on that. On the back of the first serve, just say, I'm interested. I could sign me up. I'll do that for eight weeks. I could do that. See, the more we grow, the more we expand, the more we become the church that God called us to be, the more each and every one of us has to make a contribution. Paul wrote to the Roman church, don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Just says, don't get all these high fluting ideas. Just take an honest evaluation. Where are my gifts? Where are my abilities? Where are my talents? How could I use them for the kingdom of God? That's where you start. That's where you start. Which leads us to the third principle in all of this. And this is really important. The right people in the right ministries produce the right results. Getting the right people in the right places exponentially grow the ability of the church to fulfill its mission. 
They make this decision. They say, okay, we can't do everything anymore. We're not going to do everything anymore. You choose seven men. We'll turn this over to him, them, and we'll let them run with it. And then you get down to verse, um, verse 4 and 5. They say, we'll turn this responsibility over to them. We'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of word. And then in verse 5 says, this proposal pleased the whole group. Now, that's just proof right there that was of God. Because if you can ever get the whole church thinking, you know, pleasant thoughts about what you're planning to do, that's a miracle, folks. It pleased the whole group. There wasn't even one person that said, I don't think that's going to work. It says it pleased the whole group. If each of us has a servant heart, if each of us are willing to say, these are my talents, these are my gifts, these are my abilities, these are my interests, I'm willing to put them to work then the church will function the way God designed it to function. My experience has been when churches struggle, when ministries falter, typically, more often than not, it's a problem of one or two things. Too many pew potatoes. (laughs) Yes. Or or the wrong people in the wrong positions. That's usually what happens. When a church falters, when ministries kind of don't really take off, it's one of two things. Either people are not getting involved, or the people that are getting involved are getting involved in the wrong places. It's not just knowing my gifts and using my gifts. It's also developing my gifts and growing in my gifts and seeing where I contribute. Again, Romans 12. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If your gift is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. In other words, in other words, Whatever God has given you, maximize it. Give it its full attention. Give all that you can to make yourself the best that you can at that. You know, when we put this um, process together and try to put it in a way that's understandable, we just came up with four words, connect, care, serve, share. Here's the danger in doing that. The danger in doing that is people say, okay, connect, care, serve, share. Okay, I did all four of those. I'm done. This is not a once-around-the-base-path idea. This is a constant growing and developing in every one of these areas. Let me give you an example. When you were in elementary school, you learned basic arithmetic. Right? Everybody learned arithmetic in grammar school. Okay? You got to high school, started learning algebra. Same numbers, different application. You get to college, to calculus. Same numbers as arithmetic and algebra, different application. And some of you went on to be engineers, and you use those numbers every day of your life. Now, if you just went through arithmetic and said, okay, I'm done, you missed the point. The idea is you keep growing and growing and adding to and moving forward. And that's the idea. Accept your gifts, develop them, grow them, and keep moving forward. My problem is, I am reasonably adequate at a lot of things. 
And that means I get my fingers in everything that I shouldn't be getting them into. And one of the things I'm learning, is, and, and the staff is slapping my hands all the time, because I can't do everything. And I certainly can't do everything well, but I can do a few things. And I know where my gifts and my calling are at, and that's where i got to concentrate. And so do you. Now, if you're experimenting, you're trying out, try a few different things. But once you find, this is, man, this is what I was meant to do, then give it your all. One final thought in all of this. Because Paul affirms in, in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, he affirms all these spiritual gifts. He talks about how they're all supposed to operate. And then he gets to the very end of this whole teaching, and he writes this. Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. In other words, lots of servant hearts, lots of gifts and going, things going on, but always with direction and focus. Not chaos. Here's something else we found. About two years ago, we moved up into our new facilities here. Before that, we had been in an old post office. We'd been in a warehouse. And and there were all kinds of things we'd always wanted to do, but we couldn't do them because we didn't have the space. We didn't have the resources. We didn't have the, whatever it was, we didn't have the abilities to do it. We moved up to our own campus and we thought, now we can do it. So we did. Everything. (laughs) Everything. Here's what we realized a year ago. We're doing a lot of stuff, but it's not all focused. We're doing all kinds of really cool things, and it's really neat, and we love all this stuff, but you know what? It's not helping us fulfill our mission. And God called us to fulfill our mission. And so one of the things, we used to, this is what, this is what we used to do it. We used to say when it comes to ministry, if you see a need, and you got a passion for it, and you got some gifts, you're it. Go do it. That didn't work so well. So now we're saying, if you see a need and you got a passion for it and you are some gifting, have some giftings and it helps us fulfill our mission, we'll help you do it. But if we're just doing a bunch of stuff, see, what ended up? We ended up back where we started. A bunch of people doing a bunch of things, getting really, really tired and really, really frustrated and spreading everything out so thin we weren't even effective at the things we were supposed to be doing. So we're changing. And we're just saying, let's stay focused. Let's do what God has called us to do. And we will enable you to do what God has called you to do. Because the result of that, the result of that is in verse 7. When they did this, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And he goes on to say, even a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It revolutionized the church. It changed everything. And it made them far more effective in fulfilling what God had called them to do. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that kind of a church. That's the kind of church I want to pastor. That's the kind of church that has been my dream to pastor. It's the kind of church I think we are. We just got to do better. And that means we got to make some changes. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 